Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by the employee-owned company Golden Artist Colors. Whether it's their vast array of acrylic paints, their Williamsburg oil colors, their core watercolors, or their plethora of mediums, Golden are committed to making the best materials for artists to make their work with. You can find them in art stores or online at goldenpaints.com. Karis Reed was born in Washington, D.C. and earned her BFA from Boston University. She's had solo shows at Denny Gallery in New York City, Ochi Projects in L.A., and Circuit 12 Gallery in Dallas. She's had two-person shows at Denny Gallery and Monia Row Gallery in Florida. She's been in group shows at Zero Dash Zero in L.A., Big Pictures LA, The Barn in East Hampton, Monia Row, Sergeant's Daughters, Lodge Gallery, Leo Koenig, Remican Crucible, The National Arts Club, and more. Her work has been covered in The Observer, LA Weekly, Forbes, Paper Magazine, Nylon Magazine, New American Paintings, Vogue Japan, and The New York Times, and more. While in town from Los Angeles for her work being included at a Spring Break Art Fair, Karis came to my Brooklyn studio for a talk about mindfulness, working in the desert versus the city, the figure in her work, and more. Here's our conversation. Okay, cool. Wait, are you a Bowie fan? I am. Is so is I mean, have you talked about this in past podcasts? I wanted to ask no. you about the the, the title. title. Yeah, because Low is my favorite album. Yeah, I do like Bowie. Yeah. And of course, I love the song. I, um, yeah, I know. I guess it's a, a nod to it. I also really like the Sea and Cake's version of Sound and Vision. I don't know if I've heard that. Do I like Sea and Cake, but I've, I haven't heard their cover. It's really good. Yeah, of course. So maybe that's, well, yeah. I mean, it's a reference. And I wanted it to be about, you know, talking about music or having that element into it. And then also just the idea that you're listening to people talking about things that they're visualizing. Right. Which is kind of nice. Right. So it's the audio version of the visual. Yeah. Because, you know, anyone can go look at the work, but it's kind of nice to just talk about the audio side of things. You know what I mean? Like people's story and all that stuff. Absolutely. It's both. The sound and the vision part. And it has a nice ring to it, I guess. Oh, it's fantastic. I don't know what else I would call it. But you found the name. That's so. true. <laughs> I thought, you know, when you think about these things, is like, it's, and I didn't want to put art in the title of it because I think it's more than just art. Oh, absolutely. So that's a nice loose bag, like sound and vision. But you can't say it, or at least I can't say it, and not hear the song play in my head. Yeah. Which is, it's my favorite Bowie song. It's your favorite Bowie song. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, it's... But I'm, I admit I'm not a huge Bowie guy. Right. Like, I like Bowie, and I've listened to all of it. I mean, you know, over the years, you know, listening to it, like when our band was on tour, I remember listening to it a lot, but I never listened to tons of Bowie, like at home. Right. It's, too, it's almost too... It's like Elliot Smith. I think he's really good, but I, mean, I can't listen to Elliot Smith. Well, you'll 
get really depressed. Yeah, it's a real downer. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think Bowie's depressing, but but he's he's a lot. He's a lot. I mean, I like Low that album because I feel like it's really there's an interiority to it. Yeah. You know, it's really quiet. I mean, he like sings songs about being someone being trapped in their room and like, you know, he's talking about like the poetics of sound and vision and he's yeah. talking about crashing in a car but like even when he's talking about that you get a sense that he's not in the car he's like more in this like reflective space right so yeah and whereas some of his other albums they feel more out in the world right well i think another band that does that is radiohead definitely sometimes it's so specific and there's such a feeling to it that it's hard to listen to it freely right for me personally you know what i mean oh yeah so like it a flip of that would be the Smiths. The Smiths supposedly, you know, it's like depressing content or whatever. Right. But right. I find it really uplifting. Same. So yeah. I in in like Black Flag, I can listen to all the time, and I would imagine that's just as specific of a feeling, you know, of some sort of feeling. But I don't know. For there's just some things that I have trouble really listening to a lot. Right. Like yeah. Bjork, I really like Bjork. I can't listen to a lot of Bjork. It's it's too much Bjork. Well, she's... Yeah, I agree. Like, she, to me, feels like a friend that's incredibly endearing and has a big personality, but it's, like, small doses. Right. Like, yeah. you can only see them in small doses. It's a lot to take in. Exactly. Especially if you're doing other things. And I'm rarely just sitting listening to music in a void. As an experience. It would be great. Yeah. <laughs> to have time. Yeah. <laughs> To just sit, you know, fantasize about sitting in a chair late at night and like listening to two hours. I mean, I used to do it when I was younger, just listen to music for like two hours, but I mean, it sounds like being 21, right? But that can be a good retirement plan. Just like I think so, yeah. creating like a sound booth and just like floating in a void of music. I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm going to eventually have like a record player again. Because yeah. I got rid of that when I moved to the city. Because oh, it's, you did? Yeah, it's too, I didn't have enough space. I had all these records. I had to get rid of them, but I'll do that. I'll get records again, you know, kind of find listening to vinyl again. Oh, sounds fantastic. You know, when I went to Nashville, I got to go to uh, third man records, you know, Jack White's. Oh, how was it? It was really cool. And then I got to see that he has one of those, um, thing. I'm, I'm not going to describe it well, but it etches vinyl. Like it's one of the, like a recording studio where it etches straight to vinyl, Oh wow! which is really cool. There's not many of those. But I love that kind of analog, oh yeah, you know, techie sound stuff. Yeah, I mean the sound quality is the best. It's really cool. So I'll get there, I think, one day, <laughs> and I'll read more, and yeah, you know, when everything slows down. Of course. But at that point, it'll probably be some sort of weird digital world where everything's uploaded to our mainframe, and it's a tap on the temple. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'll listen to Coltrane on vinyl <laughs> from the Lost Tapes. Boop. Blink, blink twice. <laughs> do you listen to a lot of music? I do. I do listen to a lot of music, but I, I think I have really unhealthy listening habits. Like I, I'm, I'm really obsessive with oh, okay. the way I listen to music. So I'll listen to like the same thing way too many times. You get in a zone? I do. Yeah. And Was uh, it always like that? Like growing up, did you listen to a lot of music yes but I've always also been like I'm not very good like I think some people are really good at talking about like genres of music mm -hmm. but I think in both music and art and just in life I'm such a zoom I'm such a zoom in person so I think like for me it's I'm always like zooming in on like the album the song and I get like more and more specific and tighter and tighter yeah and so like I will listen to the same song again and again and again and again um but 
but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I always listen to music. My, my mom was always really into music and I feel like she was someone who had like, um, was always really kind of quiet and mysterious. And I feel like music was something that was like an entry point into her, her, her mental landscape. So growing up, there was always music on? There was, yeah. What did they listen to? Um, well, my dad has probably listened to only two albums his whole life. Like, he's <laughs> <laughs> like I think uh, Graceland by Paul Simon. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, there's some Lyle Lovett album he loves that I, I should know the title of it, but I don't. Lyle Lovett. Uh-huh. Um, and that's it. That's it. Um, but my mom, like, you know, she's got great taste in music, but... Um, but we we lived in Texas for a bit growing mm-hmm. up. Like we moved a lot. But I think I think when we moved to Texas, like she's a Jersey girl, but I think she liked the idea of kind of dipping into this idea of country. Yeah. So in those years, like it was a lot of um, like Willie Nelson and um, Johnny Cash and like Loretta Lynn. Um, I'm forgetting now, but like a lot of sort of like singer songwriter types. Hank Williams Sr. Yep. Hank Williams. It's good stuff. Um, it's great. It's great stuff. And they're all such great storytellers. You know, I mean, there's like so much emotion in, in that music. Did she get into uh, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys? Do you know? I am Bob not. Wills? Fam- I'm not familiar. So if she did it. It's like Western Swing. Okay. It sounds great. It's really good. Yeah. It's kind of goofy. Okay. But in a really good way. So maybe she probably didn't because I don't think Goofy is her thing. Yeah. But, but it's great. It sounds it's, fantastic. It's great. It's kind of like fun Western swing. Yeah. But a big Texas, you know, thing. Oh, yeah. I mean. Western swing. Like Speedy West and Jimmy Bryant. plays old, like, pedal steel. It sounds like cartoon music in a way. It's right. Like really fast, jazzy, pedal steel country stuff. I love that. Oh, it sounds so good. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to that after the interview. It's good stuff. <laughs> And it's good for in the studio because it's like energetic. Ooh, oh, interesting. I don't like listening to energetic in the studio, but, but you do it. You feel like it like keeps your blood flowing. I do. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at anything to annex caffeine Yeah. <laughs> as I try to like limit that to not too, too much. You know? Right. So any like exercise or loud music and fast uh, music. Yeah. Like, I know uh, what you mean about caffeine. Cause I feel like the coffee is so seductive for the studio because you think it's going to give you the energy, but then it doesn't allow you to focus yeah which like for a painter is death and right? there's the crash yes and there's the crash and i'm not at the point to where i could just keep pumping it in you know like eight or nine cups it's not going to be good oh my gosh i yeah. used to one of my painter friends in la um <laughs> drinks red bull in the studio oh nice and <laughs> i'm just like how do you <laughs> how do you recover yeah, I just, I don't get it. No, I think I actually try to go the opposite route. Like I've, I've been, I've been a little off my pattern lately, but, um, I got into this habit over the last couple of years of meditating before I work. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's been really good for me because I think it kind of, it's like a, a mental cleanser, you know, yeah. just like taking out some of the noise. Doesn't it make you rela- too relaxed to work no. afterwards? No. Or you're energized by it? I wouldn't say I'm energized. I would just say I'm centered. Refreshed. Refreshed. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like the way that I work, like um, it's very little brush, you know, it's like a lot of detail. It's like very, again, it's the zoom in, you know, Right. Right. like I'm always like up close to what I'm doing. Yeah. So I need to be in a mental space where I can be really focused. Yeah. For that. Well, so well, you grew up part of the time in Texas? Yeah. So I was born in D.C., Washington, uh-huh. D.C., and um, 
my dad was in the hotel industry, so um, for whatever reason, he was always being kind of transferred to a new city every yeah. couple of years. So D.C., and then it was Chicago, and then we were in Boston, and then we moved to Austin, Texas when I was in maybe like fifth grade. And so then, is that the biggest chunk? The or biggest... You, like the, where you... Do you identify with any place more than others? Or? Um, you know, I, I sometimes will say I'm a Texan just because it's the last place I lived. And it sounds cool. It sounds... Yeah, sure. It sounds <laughs> cool. But I don't... I I don't know if I really identify fully as a Texan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I kind of... You know, because you, you do a lot of... You, you sort of form who you are to a large part before you're 13, you know? And so... Don't to they a, say like five or six years old? Like patterns, your sort yeah. of personality is typed in? Well, they do. And uh, like zero to 14 is when most of the subconscious patterning happens. Yeah. Um, so like if you have, you know, things in your life, like addictive behaviors, like that you're trying to correct, like they say that those years of the imprinting is like when it happened. Yeah. Um, so good luck getting rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're screwed. It's going to so, take so, a lot yeah, of work exactly. to, to erase that. <laughs> so maybe Texas isn't in my subconscious, right, right. <laughs> but I know it was a huge influence. Um, especially coming from Boston, you know, like, cause I think, you know, Boston's such a liberal place. Yeah. And, um, well, how old were you when you were there? Well, I think, oh, in Boston, yeah. I was there for two years. Um, my timeline gets a little fuzzy sometimes, but I think I was there from third grade to fifth grade. Okay. So I so def- you've got a little flavor of the Boston people. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. And I like, you know, I think I learned to be very opinionated and read too many books and all those good things. Yeah. And then have a stance, have a stance, be, become a pain in the ass. And then, um, we moved to Texas. Uh, I mean, Austin's a great city, but I think at that, in the nineties, Austin was really changing. Yeah. Like I think South by Southwest was already happening, but like most of the kids I went to school with, you know, every single one of them was born and raised in Texas. All their parents were born and raised in Texas. Their grand, like they, you know, their grandparents knew each other. So it definitely had this, um, small town feel yeah um and it was sort of it was like maybe my first experience of like really feeling like an outsider um and then we moved after austin to dallas texas and that was in high school that's even a big shift oh it is for sure even i mean in the same state that's yeah a- austin and dallas have very very different energies yeah. um you know dallas is dallas is a little more cosmopolitan um and it's also more um it's a little bit it's got that kind of Texas larger than life yeah, element to it. So, but I mean, Texas is great. I mean, I think when I first moved there, I, I didn't get it, you know, so I was sort of, uh, I didn't, I think it's an easy place to, to misinterpret, but I, some of my favorite people in this world are Texans. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, there's sort of like, a a warmth to the Texas persona and like, um, and a humor too. Like I think Texans are really funny, um, and also I kind of love the extravagance of Texans. Like and more in like that sort of Dallas way. Like I kind of like the over the topness. You know, it's yeah. like, um, like life is short. Like why not do it with a little zest, right? right? Well, it, I, it's total guess, but I would imagine that um, there's a huge difference between the clientele in the cities. Oh, and yeah. Outside. I mean, it's like that in Pennsylvania. You mean like in terms of art clientele or what do you mean by clientele? No, just like people. 
oh yeah ideologies vibes definitely definitely i mean austin's a more understated place right you know it's more casual um and whereas dallas is a little bit more um i guess maybe i don't want to i want to say style conscious but there's something a little bit more um buttoned up about it yeah a little corporate maybe a little bit corporate yeah we'll just you know my (laughs) i've been to dallas a couple times but not for any length of time or anything but uh I remember growing up in Dallas was a huge thing. What do you mean? The soap opera. Oh, yes. That might date me a little. I mean, I was young when it was on, but still. I remember it being a thing. I've actually never seen it. And it's just, there was, you know, there was a look to it. It was like kind of like corporate cowboy. Right. Corporate cowboy, yeah. (laughs) Southern luxury or something. I don't know. It just had like a vibe to it. But if you've never been there when you're young and you see that, you're like, oh, that's Texas. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the stand-in for the whole state by any means. No, it's not. It's not. But um but no, Texas is a special it's a special place and um but I also I never really fully fit in there, you know? So I, I'm really I have it has such a soft place in my heart and I love going back to visit, but I also was re- like was eager to leave. Yeah. Um and so I ended up going back to Boston for art school. Well, how did you when did you start doing art? Like when did, it, you know, was it something you started in high school and just got into? No, you know, for me, there wasn't really a start point. Like, I think it was more that, um, it was something I just did as a kid and I never stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom went to art school. Okay. And so when we lived in Washington, DC, you know, we spent a lot of time, she would take me to museums with her and like, you know, there's, there's photographs of me as a little girl, you know, at the museum drawing, like sitting on the ground drawing. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just like a pass, you know, it was just something I did all the time. Like yeah. I was always just drawing. And I think maybe for kids who grow up drawing, there's a fa- there's a phase where they stop doing that. And it, I just never stopped. Um, and then I think as I got to high school, I expanded, you know, I started taking like figurative classes after school at a local college and you know, I wanted to sign up for every AP art class that my school had, and I'd be there in the art room during lunchtime if I could get away with it. Um, and I'm sure your mom was supportive. She was kind of, sort but of. <laughs> maybe not. But yeah, no, I think she was. My my mom, my mom, you know, I yes, she's supportive. But I think, I think um, she sort of pivoted from painting to interior design, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, I think there was a lot of concern with both my parents about you know as most parents have with art about sustainability. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that there was a little bit of skepticism in terms of like whether or not this is going to pan out as a a career path. But, um, but I mean, you know, I, they, they didn't stop me, you know? Yeah. So, and you're doing it. I'm doing it. And they must think, wow, she's stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Cause it's a bumpy ride. I mean, she would, so did she, she went to school for art. She did. And actually... Did she I, started off doing it or did she always just have to, you know, do some sort of well, creative job, a gig? Um, kind of both. I mean, she, you know, so she, she went to school for painting mm-hmm. and, um, you know, she had for years when we were, when I was little, she had like a studio in the basement and, but she was also doing, like, she would get paid to do, um, murals in people's homes of like landscapes or I have memories of like sitting at someone's house while she was like marbling you know that like the faux, faux marble finishing, yeah, yeah she's yeah. doing like a faux fin- and it's like very 80s like right. that kind of like you know it's like some it's like a wood floor like, that looks like marble because it's hand painted <laughs> nice 
that Maybe these marble floors yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh and like trump loy type stuff yeah um she did that for years and then which i guess is also i think you know i guess that was connected to the home you know like yeah. th- that was interior in interiors design. yeah it's a good gig I mean, oh yeah i mean she's gotten a phenomenal eye and i definitely think that my mom um I mean, aside from being the one who introduced me to art, she definitely has influenced my aesthetic greatly. Like, I would say, like, we agree still on, like, 80% of the art we like. And then I feel like, you know, my taste will veer off a little bit in one direction. Her taste will veer off a little bit in the other direction. But I, I would say the sort of the bread and butter of what we both like aesthetically is is similar. That's cool. Yeah. That's not common. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's probably not. But I, I appreciate that. It feels like a nice a nice way to connect. Well, I would imagine it's comforting in a way that you feel like part of your internal aesthetic is guided by something you can relate to and that, you know, you agree with in a way. Whereas a lot of people's parents will look at their work and be like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, it. it's great. Do your thing. But, you know. Right, right. I don't really understand what you're doing, that sort of thing. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I, art can be hard to digest and understand. For sure. But, yeah. um, no, there's always been that point of connection there. And, you know, my dad, he's, uh, he's has sort of like a sensibility too, but he's, he loves to cook. So I feel like that's more his of creative output. Yeah. And he's very, like, he's very visual in the way he arranges his food too. That's like it's, cool. it's very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't do it as much anymore, but he was really into gardening, like growing up too, yeah. which I think again, I mean, they're very quiet activities. Um, so I think that that was really informative in terms of shaping the way that I see things or just, I think, you know, like a lot of people aren't taught to value, um, the act of seeing. Right. Right. And I really give both my parents credit for fostering that in me. Even saying that, like valuing the art of seeing you, you just hear someone's voice be like, yeah, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's BS. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, it has no survival value. No, it's great. But... It's, a, it's like, you know, everyone's like, not everyone, but that kind of automatic response to anything that's, you know, ephemeral, like right. philosophy. Good luck getting a job. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I... Don't, don't say like, congratulations on trying to find a deeper meaning in existence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just how are you going to get paid doing that? You know, that sort of response. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But yeah, I mean, I think thank God for philosophy, right? And thank thank God for art. I mean, I think they're so connected to mindfulness. I mean, I think to be a painter in the age we live in is actually pretty radical um, because everything is so fast and, um, you know, so instantly digestible. And I think to be the kind of person who's like, no, not only am I going to linger in this moment, but I'm going to ask you to do the same (laughs) is a bold thing to do you know and in some ways I think it's actually a little against against the grain um but we're in an interesting moment because I think that there's I think people are there seems to be kind of like I think the way that Instagram has opened up the art world and made Mm -hmm. it accessible to people who might otherwise feel intimidating by it intimidated by it Mm -hmm. is a beautiful thing yeah um it makes it more accessible it makes it it kind of I think there's a way that it maybe makes it less exotic um, and kind of breaks the mystique, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I think, well, that mystique has kind of been busted even before Instagram in a way, just with, you know, access to information in general. You know what I mean? It just seems like 
you know, videos started coming out of artists in the studio showing what they're doing, you know, a long time ago. And it was just like, you know, the mystique of like Picasso, you know, painting where you see like a one five minute clip of him painting on glass or like painting in the right. studio. And it's like, whoa, what was that like? <laughs> you know, and nowadays it's like, you know, I'm doing it, posting little shots of me, like working in the studio or whatever, you know. Right, right. But there's a nice connected feelings, you know, when other people are like, oh, what are you using? And how's that, you know, that kind of like shop talk about making things or like people seeing the process of like this stuff's handmade and it's, you know, it takes time and it, you know, someone's sitting in a room making this stuff slowly and it's kind of cool to share some of that process. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Plus I like watching it, you know, I mean, like it's great to see other, I love watching other artists process and getting that insight into how things, the craft and how things are made. Yeah. Used to be, it was so hard to see that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So did you like art school? Was that a good time? Oh, I hated art school. Oh, really? (laughs) It's no good? No, I shouldn't say that. Um, (laughs) but I, um, you know, I, it was a good foundation, you know, it was very traditional, the program I went to, and, um, it was definitely a lot of, like, figure studies and, um, that kind of thing, but, and I think for me, um, I spent a lot of time, I think I had sort of like a double education happening, you know, it was like the education happening at school, and then I think there was an education of me connecting to the world and, like, meeting, I spent a lot of time, uh, meeting people with the other nearby schools like yeah. Berkeley and like Harvard and um, Emerson and I really kind of liked that cross-pollination and that was much more exciting for was me. Was that hard to do to get out there and meet those other people or was it just you know maybe it was but I sought it out yeah I sought it out and um, that, those relationships were always really valuable to me and I think it kind of like translated to me coming to New York and like what I loved so much about living in New York when I was here you know I think that there's something so inspiring about being surrounded by like-minded people and being with people who are just like hyper focused hyper enthusiastic like really leaning forward um and just I think it's it's electric well how do you deal with that now because you're so far away from like that kind of like epicenter you know what I mean yeah oh oh um you mean in California yeah well I was so I'm not on Joshua Tree anymore oh you're um, not no I'm not um but I did go to Joshua Tree for a year and a half um because I got was that <laughs> I mean, imagine that is the polar opposite oh it is yeah it which is. is probably refreshing like meditating in a way yeah kind of cleanse the palate of of you know day-to-day crap and yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it was such a detox you know um I it just it was what I needed it was what I needed at the time and um I don't think I realized how saturated I was like being in New York until I left um and I really wanted to kind of go deep into my painting and my meditation practice and honestly I wanted to connect with nature too yeah um, and it was a really beautiful chapter, but you know, I think the, the dark side of when you put yourself in an environment like that is that, you know, it, there are less things to hide behind. And right. so, um, I think there's something about the energy of the desert specifically where it's like things are very raw. And so you see things with a lot of clarity, um, which is a good thing, you know, but it also is, um, it can be intense. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, I love the desert so much and I'm so grateful for my time there. And I probably, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up in the desert again at some later point. But, you know, I think I did what I needed to do there. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready for Moved on. a little bit more culture. I, you See, know, I thought you bounced between, but spent more time for some reason. I just, I don't know how I came to that assumption. No, that's great. Maybe I mean, <laughs> more time out in the desert. Maybe there is still some mystique in the, on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> uh, no, I live in Los Angeles now. Yeah. I well, live in Los Angeles. So, well, let's go through the timeline. So okay. you went to, you were in Boston for two years. Yes. Was it two years? Uh, four Oh, for four years. That's right. That Two was years as a kid and then four years. Right, right. Yeah. So then what was the plan whenever you graduated? Oh, I mean, I couldn't get to New York fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I, good thing you have Amtrak. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that far. True. Well, yeah. The Fungwa bus I used to take like oh every weekend to New York. Taking but, your life in your yeah. hands. <laughs> um, no, I moved to New York immediately and um, I was there... For 11 years and I mean I that to me felt like a whole other education 11 years yeah where did you live um I lived mostly in Brooklyn like yeah. I was in Williamsburg and then kind of Greenpoint um I had a brief stint in the city where I lived like kind of in the worst place ever but like I lived like where all the NYU students live oh, like I thought um, you were gonna say Times Square no I mean almost but it was like <laughs> McDougal Street <laughs> that's not that bad I mean no it's not that bad but it's it was you know it's like a it's like a little mini carnival. Yeah. You're like on a college campus. Basically. You're on a college campus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I mostly lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. And were you, did you have a studio? I did. Out here? Yeah. I, I passed it. I took a Uber on my way here oh, and really? I, I passed it on the, on the, um, from Memories. the highway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a studio, um, off of the Graham stop and oh, it was, wow. yeah, it was like walking distance from where I lived. Nice. So do you. Well, 11 years, so you planted some roots for, you know, that's not like a short amount of time. No, not at all. And being here is, I mean, I have so many people here that I adore. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that's like overwhelming about coming back is that you're like, shit, I have them uh, here for yeah. a week and there's so many people I need to see. squeeze it all in. <laughs> yeah. Which is impossible. Of course. Yeah. But no, New York is really dear to my heart and always will be. But I just, you know, I think that my my relationship to my work was shifting and mm -hmm. I think I was really moving into a space where I was moving into a space where space was important to me and well, what I, was your early work when you moved here like what were you doing um it changed a couple times but there was always a figurative element um the really early work I was uh really interested in like I was always interested in pictorial histories and I got really into the circus for a while so I did a lot of like circus freak imagery and then it started changing from that to I got really into like um, like 19th century dancers and like a lot of or then it was like sort of like 1920s erotica and like it was I was always kind of looking back in history like I loved finding old vintage imagery and working from it. And were these looser than what you're doing now? A little looser. Yeah. yeah. And they also were more um, like I think my work is very stylized now and there's there's you know it's very flat. Yeah. Um, and I think with some of the earlier work, there was more, you know, um, more form. Right. Um, but I just started feeling really limited by the photo. And I also started feeling limited by the fact that it was, other, it was basically at the end of the day derived from other people's imagery. Yeah. Um, and then also simultaneously, I started getting more into meditation and wanting it to come from a more internal place. So I did go through a, a brief period where I was doing portraits and portraiture. 
but then even that I realized that I didn't really want the portraits to be of people I almost wanted the people I was painting to be represented of something more archetypal yeah um and then like a f- tarot cards or something exactly and yeah. I love tarot um so it's yeah exactly or Pokemon <laughs> or Pokemon <laughs> exactly uh but yeah, I think as I shifted to this more uh, stylistic space, um, a funny thing happened. Like I felt like if I was doing a portrait of a friend and I had her with a kind of Cleopatra headdress on, people still saw the painting as that person. Right. Whereas when I started making this more universal face, I felt people started projecting onto it yeah. in a good way. Um, and it's, it's having more of an emotional reaction to it. Um, and I was also starting to simultaneously play, like I'm really interested in things like hypnosis and psychology. And mm-hmm. I was really interested in where the, um, where the visual connects to that. And so playing with things like rhythm and rhythmic, um, imagery, like having things ripple and like playing with things like symmetry, like there's something inherently soothing about symmetry. And when we see symmetry, it calms us. Mm-hmm. So I started, you know, if you, my work plays with that all the time and balance right exactly so I was interested in like what would happen if I create a painting that's its intention is to be soothing yeah and then sometimes I'd rebel from my own rules you know and make a painting that's about disharmony um but I wanted to have those things in mind as I made the paintings and so I think as all those things became more important to me I being in New York stopped making sense, you know, because I felt like I wanted, um, I wanted less stimulus. I was going to say you weren't finding sort of calm, <laughs> balance, <laughs> mindfulness. <laughs> I mean, it exists. It does exist here. I'm sure. You, yeah, but, but you have to carve it out. You do. You're not. It's not coming to you. No. That's the thing about landscape. It can either you either have to push against it to create the environment that you want or it helps foster that you know like this is a great place if you want to be irritated this is a great location <laughs> <laughs> you know it's ripe for irritation it's just like driving down the street two blocks you're gonna get someone laying horn at you oh my you gosh know. yeah whereas if you're on a beach in oahu it's it's gonna be harder to get irritated i think right right but i mean i guess arguably like are you really that mindful if you can't deal with the noise, right? If like you have to be in this like rarefied environment to find stillness, then true. But I mean, Times Square would test any, yeah, anyone's patience for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think we don't really like take into account psychic noise too, right? You know, I think like we spend so much time when we're in urban environments just taking in like advertisement and conversations and like the color of so-and-so's outfit you just passed and like, you know, storefronts and then also like the traffic and the conversation and the honking and, you know, it's stimulus and it's, um, I think it can take a while to zone it, to, to move past that. And I think especially as a creative person, when you're trying to hone in on that inner voice versus the outside voice, um, it's a lot of stuff to push away. Yeah, I was just talking to someone this morning about how we were talking about how younger kids seem more adept at sifting through and navigating multiple stimuli at the same time. Right. Like they can hear other conversations, noises, events going on and still be listening to someone and kind of retain what they were saying 
amidst all this other stuff. Whereas maybe an older generation of person might be like, I can't <laughs> concentrate, you oh. know, because they're so much more um, accustomed to, you know, multiple sources of information and stimuli hitting them at the same time. Absolutely. So it's like an evolution of how we're in, in digesting information and stimulus. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and it, you, you do wonder what's happening with like the neural pathways, right? Like how are they being redirected? Right. But I mean, I could see in that sort of absorption that maybe there's really interesting like um, connections being drawn. Like maybe they're, yeah. but maybe they're better at kind of doing sort of high, like maybe hybrid thinking. Right. Um, Instead of like linear. Yeah. Thinking, more of kind of like, you know, it's it's almost like the way I always used to find information was like looking it up, but right. not looking it up, not like in two seconds on Google. And then, you know what I mean? It was like you'd have to research and investigate this information. Now it's kind of like sifting through the various instantaneous information you can get from right. a question. Do right. you know what I mean? So you mean like an encyclopedia was the old way? Yeah, imagine it as like in my day, like in in older times, you would go talk to someone who was an expert and you'd have to sit there and spend 20 minutes and dig for information about whoever it is. And then nowadays, it's more like there's 50 expert, quote unquote, experts in the room and they're all telling you at the same time information about that person. And you have to kind of like, it's almost like you're sifting through it instead of digging for it, which is a different kind of, um, uh, relationship to information it is and i think it i would assume um reflects a change in the way that creativity is organized in the brain like you're saying they become good at triangulating or sort of deciphering meaning or or impulse through multiple sources at the same time instead of like a prolonged investigation and detail of one specific thing right absolutely Absolutely. I mean, I think too, even just in terms of the phenomenon of how art's being digested now with the fairs, yeah. you know, um, oh, I did it yesterday. <laughs> I'm still not used to it. I have, I mean, I, I make myself do it, but I just, it's a lot. It really, like it's literally, a lot. Yeah. I, I can't, I have to look on one side of the hall. Right. I won't look at the other one. Like that's your- <laughs> it's too much to take in. Like if I'm ping ponging back, you know what I mean? So I just have to focus. Yeah. Okay. This is a left side walk. And that was working really well until I bumped into a bunch of people I knew. And then, I'm, you know, it's like a ping pong game. Like I'm bouncing all around and I can't see it. I can't, yeah. I just have to find one thing that I'm interested in and look at that for a little bit. I agree. And then ignore it. In well, a way. <laughs> I think maybe every third booth they should have just an empty booth that you just oh, stare at the so white nice. wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like your your coffee beans after perfume. Right. Just kind of like visual refresh. Yep. Cleanse the palate. Exactly. They're not going to do that. No, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> that would, who are they going to charge the $20,000 for that 30 square foot of blank space? <laughs> Let's put a rhyme in there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that would um, be nice. And Agnes Martin, the rhyme. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Um, but yeah, I actually, I mean, I think I do discover new pieces and new artists when I go to fairs, but I also find the, that I gravitate towards things that are familiar yeah. in those settings because it almost becomes, it's like walking into a party with all these people, you know, and you're overwhelmed and then you're like, oh wait, I know that face. You look you know? for comfort. You <laughs> yeah. know? It's like, oh, Michelin. Exactly. You're always there when you need to. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. But it's it's a strange phenomenon too as an artist, like knowing that your work is being digested in that way. Yeah. You know, and I think especially when you want work to be kind of digested in a quieter way, um, it's a strange, you know, it's like someone standing in the center of a that crowded party, like whispering a poem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, is it the right? Is it the right space for it? Right. Like the side stage at Lollapalooza, if you're a solo <laughs> acoustic act. Exactly. It's going to be hard to exactly. really take that in. But as a creative person, you can't always dictate, you know, the exactitudes of how your work is seen and experienced. It's so. true. And yeah, and I, I also, I mean, kind of counter to what I'm saying, I actually do think that there is a rise um, in artists being more connected to the spiritual or to a more, more kind of quiet harmonic space. Um, I think even just the fact that we have like Helma Offklint in a show at the Guggenheim right now speaks yeah. volumes. Um, you know, and it's a, I think it's a reaction to the overstimula the overstimulation and just like, um, people wanting to feel a connection, you right. know, and people wanting maybe because we are such sifters, as you said, like, there is a need for the depth, you know, like I think people want an artist to take them by the hand and like bring them to a place that is a little bit calmer. Right. Yeah. Because remember when the fairs were catching steam and then it was like this race within a few years of like the art fair installation where it had to just be everything in the kitchen sink, bells and whistles were like, if we put, you know, a bunch of neon hanging with like, you know, sirens making noise and someone performing under it, we're going to get people's attention. Right. And then I think after a while people, well, not after a while, people tire of that pretty quickly and are like, okay, we get it. You're trying to get attention. And then when you do see the quiet work at the fair or the, the booth where it's just one person's work and you can like exhale, it's, it's, you find those moments, but it is really good for as much as the experience of seeing the work is there's some negative aspects to it. The, the nice thing is you get to go spend an hour and a half or two hours and see so many uh, pieces of art that you wouldn't normally see. Yeah, it's, know? it's true. It's true. Not and the ideal <laughs> viewing, but you know, it beats Google. It does. Yeah. I mean, and there's a reason I'm in town right now for the fairs. I mean, I have a piece at the spring break art fair right now. Um, and, but I could have easily not come in town for it, right. but I just, you know, it's a great way for me to see a lot of people and, and to your point, see a lot of painting and see a lot of art um, and do podcasts and do podcasts, <laughs> <laughs> sound and vision. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, spring break is a wild scene. It is. Yeah. It's, it's great though. The energy is really, that's the thing that, well, when I was, when I've gone to it, it seems like there's real energy there there is there really is a lot of energy there and I I think that fair I consistently always find a new artist that I didn't know about who I'm like oh my gosh this is incredible um and you know connecting back to the spiritual the spirituality element the booth that I'm doing is with Sarah Potter and Caroline Larson and it's focused on tarot mm-hmm. and or do you know tarot at all are you familiar Not with tarot a, I mean I just I know what it is but yeah. I don't really know it know it okay so, uh, I mean, so it's, it doesn't fall into the dad, <laughs> you know, like the checkoff boxes, like magic to gathering. Sure. Pokemon, yeah. Not, not tarot yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. One day. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an ancient divination, um, device and it's a system of cards that all have images on them. There's 78 cards and 22 of them are called the major arcana. Mm-hmm. And all of those cards, um, represent different archetypal energy. 
And so that car- those cards are they're considered to be the, the fool's journey. So the first seven cards are about the ego. The second seven, seven cards, the uh, second, yeah, the second tier of cards is all about the destruction of the ego. And then the third tier is all about um, once you move past the ego into a place that is more about giving back and sort of about being more aligned with a deeper spiritual truth. Um, and the whole idea being that, you know, on our journey here on earth, that um, we start out feeling like we need to be important, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's very much about like, look at me, like give me attention and then, you know, shit falls apart. And then some people get stuck in that, you know, and some people just stay in the egoic part. Um, but then there are people who like move to that final phase and then they kind of like, it's not about becoming a martyr. It's about moving to a space where they then use their ability to put their energy outward and to kind of connect back and give back. Um, So I love that. Like, I love the story of that. And so for the show, they had each of the artists take on one of the cards from the Major Arcana. Um, Did you get to choose? We did, yeah. And so I chose, I mean, I love all the cards, but I chose the High Priestess. She's the the first feminine archetype in the deck. Um, and she she represents, so she follows the Magician. So the Magician is about the material world. He's about learning to manifest in the material world, like to have things. And she's about moving into the internal depths. So she's about the subconscious. She's about um, this sort of more inward private space. And she's also supposed to be like the protector of uh, occult knowledge. Sounds, so Sounds almost unfair that you've got a more meaningful and deeper <laughs> character. <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, I liked the idea of playing with that archetype in the setting of the art fair. Yeah. You know, I feel like she... I liked the, that that archetype represents not losing track of... I mean, because, you know, at the end of the day, an art fair is about commerce, right? Yeah. So it's a sort of about the, the materialization, the having. Right. Um, and so I liked that that archetype sort of is bringing us back to um, the other side of the visual experience, too. You know, like, yeah. that it can be contemplative, it can be thoughtful, it can be inward. Um, Do you feel like people are... I mean, that's a pretty cool... Pro- so everyone, I would imagine... I think I saw some images. Yeah. Because I haven't gone to spring break, but that there's it's pretty diverse in the way that these things are realized and the way they look. Definitely. And they also chose artists. Some artists were really familiar with tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others knew nothing about it, which was cool. Like, I liked that some artists were, you know, given this archetype and then they had to kind of respond to it. You know, I mean, like, there's, there's some pretty strange, not strange, there's some pretty... Uh, radical interpretations, right. you know, whereas, and then there's some that are more adherent to how it is traditionally. Yeah. You didn't hang um, out there and meet the other artists and be like, but you're way off here. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even research? <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. No, no. I loved the interpretations, That's you cool. know, yeah, and I think yeah. some, I think sometimes when you know too much, it can be like handcuffs. It can weigh you down. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's like, you get weighed down by the, by the rules. Well, you that's know? probably the great part about it is there's such I would imagine varying levels of experience there. So it's going to really play differently in all those images. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean like Matthew Craven, who I know has been on this past podcast, he did the death card and you know, he has like a, you know, his traditional like um, vases and things. And then there's like a skull in the center. And then uh, Trudy Benson, who's been Mm -hmm. on the podcast, she did, I think she did the world card. Oh yeah. Um, and like I loved her interpretation of it because she kind of like usually there's something more like a sphere at the center and she kind of severed the sphere and nice. kind of did a um, a Trudy number on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it, it was great. I loved seeing everyone's interpretations of the cards. And it was, I'm sure it was pretty busy. Oh, yeah. Visiting there. Yeah. Or did you go yesterday? Um, was it yesterday? No, it was two days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. When did it open? Two days ago. So it must have been pretty crazy. Oh. Was... Do you now, so you're based in, so when did you move to LA? Sorry, not to, no, just no want to go back to. Yeah. Um, I the timeline. Moved... And did you, so you just felt like, okay, I got to. Just get out of New York. Yeah. LA I, seems like the furthest place <laughs> on this continent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I also, you know, I, I wanted to be somewhere warmer. Um, and LA... That I can relate yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, LA's got a great art scene, yeah. you know, and I think there's a lot of really exciting things happening there. Um, there's also a lot of ex-New Yorkers there. Um, like, I feel like a lot of my artist friends in LA are ex-New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, stopped, I did Joshua Tree for a year and a half, and then I moved to L.A. in June. Um, and it's been great. I mean, I think the lifestyle there is a little um, more balanced, um, which I like. I mean, you definitely are a little bit more isolated, you know? Like, I think things yeah. are further apart, and you can easily go a day or a week without running into people. But I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, true. You can, I mean, there's the plus and minus of that. Yeah. You have to drive and it's like more destination-y than bump into-y. You know exactly. I mean? Exactly. But I mean, you know, it's the, the ocean's like an hour away and then Joshua Tree and like Ojai are in like all these like great places to be in nature, not far. Um, but I think also, you know, like I, I go hiking in the morning and then I go to the studio and I think just to have that time connecting to nature and just being outside and being in an environment where... You know, when you're on a hiking trail, there's no advertisement around you. Yeah. You know, there's like no, um, I mean, aside from the fact that that path was carved by a human and you're like maybe seeing some person walk by with headphones on, like you're pretty much just sort of in this element of nature. Um, and I, I, I really love having that. We mentioned earlier that Hawaii, is that somewhere you go often? Um, you know, I have historically gone there with my family. It's been a while though. I haven't, I don't think I've gone since I was like 12 and like plotting like 12 year old Hawaiian romance fantasies. It's <laughs> pretty great. Yeah. But I mean, I, the, like, I'm just so excited to like draw plants there, you know? I mean, there's so much, so much like beautiful wildlife there. There is. Are you going to go to Oahu or? Um, we're going to go to the main island. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's plenty, plenty of foliage. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't wait to nerd out. That's gonna be cool. And do you do you do other? I mean, you say so you hike. Are you into surfing or? Oh, absolutely not. No, I thought you were gonna be like, <laughs> of course I do. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm a very physically cautious person. <laughs> okay. like, no. Well, jumping on a gigantic wave on a stick floating <laughs> in the water doesn't sound reasonable. N- not my thing. Yeah, I'm not a surfer either. Yeah, no, I um. I like feet in the sand. Yeah. Great. I like, like waiting. I'm more like a reading on the beach with lots of sunscreen and umbrella kind of yeah, person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not bronzing out there for five or six hours? Definitely not. Yeah. So, um, well, when you moved to LA, did you get a studio set up? Was it easy or is it difficult as far as like finding space and then find, did you already have the network of some friends or did I'm, it take a little while to kind of, you know get yourself set up in a way? Um, I mean, I still feel like I'm meeting the community out there, but I, so it's, it's new, it's still new, but 
honestly, I feel like the community has been really welcoming. And there was some overlap. Like there was a couple artists that I knew back in New York who are there now. And um, in terms of the studio, I'm in like a live workspace. Mm-hmm. Um, which, That's nice. Yeah, short I love. Commute. Yeah, short commute, <laughs> which I, I love. You know, yeah. I mean, I think there is something to be said for the separation of the spaces. But I think because I am someone who um, likes that sort of interiority, like it, it suits me. Well, it sounds like also, too, when you go out, you're separating in a way. Definitely. So you're getting that when you go out into nature and hike or go to the beach or do whatever you're doing outside. Yeah, go to art openings or movies. I go I go to see a lot of movies. And, yeah. Um, well, when in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you a big movie buff? I don't know if I'd call myself a buff, but I, I'm definitely like a movie consumer. What do you, you know? like? What's your anything? Um, Blockbusters? No, not blockbusters. Not Marvel. Um, You know, I definitely, like, I think I used to be more nerdy about it. Like, I think I used to be, like, really into all the Criterion collection. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of going through the archive. Um, But now, I think, like, I like to watch, like, the the new, sort of, like, more indie films coming out. Um, But I I also love going back. Like, I still have a soft spot for everything from the 70s, like, film-wise. Um. Like, I love, like, a good, like, Robert Altman film or... He's um, good. Yeah. Um, Shortcuts was such a great movie. I don't think I saw Shortcuts. Really? No. But, I I mean, I loved, like, Three Women. Yeah. And uh, The Last Goodbye. But, no, I have to watch Shortcuts. Shortcuts is really good. Okay. And it's a real L.A. movie. Yeah. Okay. I gotta watch it. It's like all these mini stories that come together around an event in Los Angeles. But you have everyone from like you know Tom Waits to uh, Huey Lewis is in it, and it's it's a really great cast, like an ensemble cast. Oh, that sounds fantastic! It's really good. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, perfect. those were the days. It's like my film intake was when I was in undergraduate school because okay. I would stay and work in the studios over the summer, and there was no one there, so it was an empty town basically. And there was a video store, and these were the VHS days. Um, and you could rent a tape for 25 cents. So I would rent like three movies a day, go paint all day and then watch movies at night. And then same thing next day. So I moved through, they had like not criterion collection, but you know, they had like the recommended classics where it was everything from like Godard to, you know, to Jarmusch and like you just move through the whole thing. Right. And would you stay with a certain director? Like, I feel like I've gone through phases. Like I went through like a Jarmusch phase where it was like. For like a week, that's like all I watched. Yeah, you know? except I would do that in like two days. A day. <laughs> yeah. And my friend, my old roommate, Gerald Davis, who is an artist based in Los Angeles, um, we we stayed in the same apartment and we would, he was really in the films too, so we'd like rent them together. We'd rent these cheap movies, but we could move through them so quickly because they were so cheap. Right. We'd just return it the next day and get like three or four more. It was good. That's and then like when that ended, my movie career was like over <laughs> I just didn't really you know I don't know I kind of cut movies off at a certain point not totally but you know not like really your um, relationship to it changed yeah it was like a here and once in a blue moon sort of thing yeah I just got lost and like when I went to grad school and like and then when I moved here I was just like working all the time right I mean movies require time it's a time commitment again with the sure. whole retiring <laughs> and maybe I'll go through a another movie phase oh my gosh a retirement phase of just music movies and uh what else was in there 
Um, I think it was CBD. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Uh, Joint pain, digestible chews, (laughs) old age vitamins, stuff like that. I'm just picturing like a, like a, like a geodome with like a cushioned floor. Oh, nice. A Buckminster Fuller. Exactly. Retro future landscape with like a drop down cinema screen that could project movies at night. That sounds fantastic. That how that for some reason that made me think of the lot. Do you know the Lautner House in Los Angeles? That's the one that they filmed the Big Lebowski in. Yes, yes, it's with the such a cool the angular ceiling. Angular ceiling. Yeah. it's got the water inside, like the indoor outdoor. Yeah, man, that I would love to retire to a house <laughs> like that. It's such a cool place, you know. Well, invite me over. Like. Uh, I know, I know, I got to do that. And there's that other one that's on the hills. It's I think it's in. Los Angeles. It's the one that's like a geodesic. Is it a Bruce Goff building? Or maybe it's Lautner, but it's on the hills and it's kind of like a geodesic dome house that's on the hills. Geodesic dome on the hills in LA. Okay, I can't think specifically of what you're talking about, but it sounds wonderful. There's so much great architecture. There really is. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's, there's the connection to home and space is is something that's really a beautiful part about being there. Yeah. You know, like you spend a lot more time not only in your own home, but in other people's homes. You know, right. I think when I think about socializing in New York with my friends, like most of the time we would meet at restaurants or we'd go to art openings and, yeah. you know, there's the occasional dinner party, but I think not few, so much. not so much. It's easier if you just go out and do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think most people, especially in their twenties in New York have like such small shitty apartments yeah. that you want to get out. Right. It's like you guys, you're not going to even going to fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in LA it's like, a destination like you, know, you can invite people over yeah it's really nice though it is nice and I think there's an appreciation for space and for like the um I don't know just like the what happens inside space and like how it's shared and there is like such beautiful architecture there and yeah. also outdoor space too you know well yeah the weather and then you had like the mid-century modern boom there you know with the case study houses it was just like a good architectural sort of opportunity there that I, I think and there's an appreciation for what was built that was you definitely know, innovative and beautiful so you can still find those you know on the east coast like mid-century modern is so hard to come by right unless you're in like certain town in connecticut or like here and there you know like falling water is beautiful to go see but i don't know it feels like in la there's just like it's like those classic cars too it's like a, you know it's a it's a fertile environment for that sort of thing yeah i agree did you, when you moved out to the desert, did you have like a big, I mean, a big space? Oh, I did. Yeah. And that was hard to leave. <laughs> Not to mind the acreage. <laughs> I mean, I, I, no, I, I had a lot of land too. You know, I had a lot of land and, um, I had a porch and I would, you know, sit in the porch if it was warm enough and just like watch bunnies eating and, you know, would see so cool. in the evenings would see coyotes. I mean, one day I looked out the window and literally saw a coyote with a dead rabbit hanging out of its mouth. Sure. <laughs> and like, you know, there is a day I was painting in the summer there and it was like maybe like a hundred plus degrees outside and a, a hawk literally just like flew into the window. Oh, but you know, but like that stuff like that Wait, into a window, my window or through the window. No, no, it hit the window. Oh, geez. Like it flew into the window and then kind of like got disoriented. And, and I had this, I had this moment where I was just like looking down at this majestic creature um, before it opened up its wings and flew away. Um, that's 
says something about the strength of a hawk because most yeah. birds do that and they don't make it. That's true. He just like slapped on a quick neck brace. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Because they, they can get huge. Oh, I mean, it was a gigantic. A desert hawk, I would imagine. It's yeah. bigger than a New York City hawk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a couple hawks in New York City. Yeah. yeah I remember seeing them here. But, um, but I think too, like being in such a, like an arid landscape, the, 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 significance of seeing animals and like the energy of the animals in the landscape feels much louder. Yeah. Um, and which I really appreciated. Like, I think it kind of made our human priorities seem really insignificant. Yeah. It's not like they're encroaching on your suburban neighborhood or something. It's like, Oh you're no. In their environment. Oh no. I'm in their backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I used to drive across the country with friends and we'd go camping and that became clear really quickly. You know, it's like, yeah, there's there's bears and there's animals around and don't leave your trash out. Yeah. And you're in their neck of the woods and, you know, yeah. you become really, it kind of, it humbles you in a way, you know, puts you in a good headspace. Oh, like, for sure. I mean, I'm it's, not going to just come in here and, you know, take over this right? campsite. I'm going to cower in my tent and hope no one bothers right like this isn't like a disneyland right. like there's there's actual danger i mean it's it brings real. you back into a more primal place where Definitely. would you where would you guys go camping uh in the redwoods well we camped our way across okay. one trip i took this was not when i was playing music this was before that so we took a trip once where we had two tents and like almost no money and a gas card like a credit card gas mm. And we would go to campsites. Sometimes we go to those KOA ones. Okay. After they, we'd get there after they close and just set up and then we'd wake up so early because the heat in the tent with like four guys in it, it was was nasty. Gross. You'd wake up at like, you know, 4.30 or 5 in the morning sweating and just hop in the car and go. But then we would go to the campsites where they, I would imagine they're national parks or just park service campsites. I I don't even know how we did it. We didn't have... We had paper maps. We didn't have GPS. Wow. The idea of going anywhere with a paper map is just like mind boggling to me. And we did it like across the country. I remember once we were somewhere, I think in Utah, and we were just lost. Wow. (laughs) And I remember driving and driving and driving. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. And somehow eventually we must have turned around or made a turn that worked. But we were out there. But how beautiful to actually allow yourself to be lost oh it was great right i mean like the grid yeah yeah and to just to be in this place of like trust right and like to like not i mean luckily you had each other too i don't know (laughs) okay maybe you didn't have each other all right lord of the flies in the van it was rough (laughs) (laughs) we got we got to vegas and the one guy i was with his uncle was a professional hockey player and they were in town so we got, there was a hotel, an extra room. So we actually had a hotel room one night and it was like, we had hit like an oasis in the desert. Literally. Nothing like, like, we can shower, like truly shower. Oh my gosh. Nothing like deprivation, right? To make right. you feel appreciation again. Yeah. And, and if you, if you think about it, we're pro- probably like 17 or 18 years old. Okay. Our threshold for stinky and like, you know, like nastiness was pretty high. So if we were that ripe and like ready for a nice relaxing bed in a shower at that point, it must've gotten pretty grim, but it was so much fun. Oh, I mean, it, that's amazing. It's amazing. And to go back to the, the nature element and the animals, I mean, 
I think, you know, we have such a disconnected relationship with nature and, um, especially when we're in the city and, you know, animals are things that are served on plates in restaurants. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think it's good to kind of be connected back to the ecosystem and reminded that, you know, we're a small part of it and to be more reverent. Definitely. Are you, um, I've been a vegetarian since college. Yeah. How's your eating? Um, you know, I guess that that's is that an this appropriate is a, question. No, but it, but I'm going to probably sound like an asshole making that statement and then telling you I eat meat. But um, no, no, no. <laughs> um, no I've been a vegetarian off and on, but mm-hmm. I think um, I don't know. I think I I think I need a certain amount of protein. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with eating meat. Like my, well, it's not. I think the issue with you know meat is the food industry like yeah how i agree we do it you know yeah what I, mean? I agree like if you see someone who's living off the land and hunting for food there's nothing wrong with you know that's but i think sometimes there's some issues with the way it's you know the way it's served absolutely the, you know the or the how the animals are treated yeah, yeah i agree I and mean, i would say I, I have vegetarian tendencies you're leaning veggie yeah <laughs> leaning vegan i'm not vegan by the way okay i can't okay. give up sorry i can't give up dairy I mean, I can't do it. I probably cheese, could spend, yeah, cheese, I know. So good. Cheese is one of my favorite vices. My whiteness, my Northern European whiteness <laughs> necessitates dairy. Like I can just drink a gigantic glass of milk, totally freak out my wife. Who's <laughs> 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 just like not into lactose. You know what I mean? Just, I love it. I love dairy. I and think for protein, it's good too. There should be a fountain of milk in the dome. <laughs> That's a good idea. Fountain of milk. Immediately I thought, dome, desert, milk, not good. Yeah. <laughs> Warm milk is never. A chilled fountain of milk. There you go. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, 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 try to, I try to eat healthy. But you strike me as someone who might be into speaking with mindfulness and like caring about, you know, yourself, that you're mindful about eating. I, I try. And healthy. <laughs> You see, you have like a healthy glow to you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Although I don't know the last couple of days in New York of how healthy I've been. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's easy to do that in California. I think that there's a yeah. lot of... It's environmental. Yeah. Right? And I, I think that, you know, um, it's contagious. I think like, you know, people's habits run off, rub off on you. Yeah. Um, and I find that there's just more people there who are more mindful with the way they eat but not to mention like the eight million juice juiceries yes. and you know yes. all that stuff but no i'm not obsessive about it though like it's it's yeah. definitely something i'm conscious of but um but you'll I, hit an in and out burger if you have to oh yeah for sure <laughs> i've never had an in and out burger i mean obviously i became vegetarian in college but like even before that i never never had the opportunity but people swear by it they do um i mean is it a little hype like here shake shack everyone's um, like shake shack so amazing and i I I mean people are like it's okay it's good full full disclosure i've I've only (laughs) (laughs) just between you and me i've only had an in and out burger once and it was maybe like eight years ago so um, I can't really speak to that, but, uh, well, it must I not hear have good been, things. It must not have been that earth shattering <laughs> if you had it once. It's like a Lay's potato chip. Yeah. I just don't think I'm really a burger person, but, yeah. um, but I do really love fry, French fries. So there you go. It's, <laughs> it's not fit. Potatoes are like my vice. <laughs> oh, potato wow. Potato chips are like the thing that I, that I have to consciously 
chill out, you know, not eat too many. Like that would be your thing to overindulge in. Yeah. Got it. Like once in a blue moon when I'm driving back from teaching, I'll just grab a big bag of chips and have a bag of chips. What what kind? Uh, any. Well, not any. I don't do the like the Doritos or any of those right. anymore. Usually like just kettle like chips. Salted. Yeah. Like I like jalapeno <laughs> ones. Those are good. I'm just picturing like everyone listening to the podcast reaching for a bag of chips right now. <laughs> like they're, they're all salivating. Yeah, yeah. You got to eat them. Yeah, yeah. I like spicy ones. Like the super spicy ones. Like the barbecue. Like or, yeah. Or the, the flaming hot ones. Have you had those? Um, I've had jalapeno. Is that, would that count? No, the flaming hot ones are nev- they're next level. Okay. They're like, they destroy you. <laughs> and they put this pinkish reddish powder on you that you can't get off like it burns into your fingers and it's really hard to get it out this sounds lovely it's amazing <laughs> it's a visceral experience it's like walking on coals but your stomach is dead. but it's really exhilarating there's something nice about it this is extreme chip eating it is extreme chipping i'm yeah I, i've settled down from that though I, I keep it in context but yeah no i i do like i do like salty too i hear you i hear you as people were reaching for their chips, they're like, okay, can you talk a little more about her artwork? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to neglect that. So, well, what have you been, so you started the transition of working, you know, into more, like you were saying, a little flatter, a little less kind of like letting the viewer project onto that imagery by kind of, I don't know, how would you describe it? Creating I'm- these figures that are, I don't know how to say... It's not like the personality list, but you're projecting sort of like. Well, I don't see them as real people. Um, I mean, like I, stand, or it's like a stand-in in a way, or like avatar or something. Um, Clearly, I'm not prepared to yeah. like describe this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess I could maybe see it like an avatar. I mean, you know, we talked about arch- archetypes earlier, and that's usually how I describe them. Yeah. You know, I I usually see them as sort of embodying a certain energy. Um, and sometimes I'll draw from, you know, like mythology, you know, like I've made paintings referencing like Hestia, the goddess of the home and the hearth. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I'll, I'll make a painting that's about um, this idea of like desire, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, but they tend to be more internal or emotional spaces. Um, and I, I, I'm really fascinated by the way that we as humans can have we personify things and like clearly they're you know figurative but they're also they're so stylized you know and I like this idea that like you know we could take a rock and put two circles and a a crescent on it and you know we see face you know just thought of uh Wilson from Castaway (laughs) (laughs) see draw face or no it was a handprint but that's a perfect example I think that that need to be seen and to see and to project and to have that mirror response. And like, you know, if you think about what's actually happening, it's like you're staring at a piece of, like I paint on wood. So it's like, you're staring at a piece of wood yeah. with color on it. And yet somehow because of the arrangement of the symbols and like, you know, you are processing it as, Oh face, yeah. you know, yeah, but then, yeah. But then simultaneously because of the way that I work with color and the way that I work with these symbols and the, the, the um, symmetry, I'm also kind of referencing a place that um, is maybe more connected to the subconscious um, and more connected to a feeling space. So I, I, and I like working in a really graphic way because I think there's, I mean, you work in a really graphic way too, but I like this. I think there's something very um, instantaneous about it. And I think it's direct. And I think, you know, it's, um, 
I think it's also very succinct, you know, I, I'm interested in this sort of like, um, I'm, I'm interested in, in just really kind of getting to the essence of what I'm trying to bring forward. Mm-hmm. But so I think when you work like this the way I've been working the last couple of years where it is so graphic, there's an immediacy and yet there's also something that's a slower reveal. Um, you know, some of the symbols I work with, I mean, some of them are very familiar, like, you know, like the peace sign, for example. Yeah. I mean, like that came about in the 60s, 1960s. And it's, you know, people have it on bumper stickers and T-shirts. And it's like, it's very, it's very common. But what I love about a symbol like that is it's sort of like, um, it's so common and familiar that half the time you see it, you're not even pausing to think about what it represents. Right. And yet it still holds an energy. Right. And it still holds a message and is symbolic of something that has a very specific meaning. Um, So that interests me. And then I'm also interested in symbols that have sort of like a really wide interpretation of meanings and also maybe have allegorical meanings and are connected to a lot of different cultures, like the snake, for example. Um, It's more exciting to me when there's it's not fixed Right. You know, like I don't want it to be overly prescriptive. Like I like this space that um, kind of in the way that like a dream, you know, like dream interpretation, how I mean, like everyone dreams about snakes, you know, it's like one of the most common symbols, you know, or like teeth falling out. Yeah. Um, and I like bringing in certain subtle elements like that that have this sort of um, universality to them. But they're not so specific that you can't wiggle around conceptually. Exactly, exactly. And which is not to say that I don't sometimes bring in, you know, specific stories in my own mind or, you know, but I don't, I never want it to be overly didactic. Um, Well, you just write a book. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. (laughs) Yeah, something nice about the leading them to an idea or a feeling. Yeah. But then giving space for them to bring whatever they want to bring to it. Absolutely. And I've also been, I mean, I'm really interested in repetition. So... I think one of the things that I've been playing with the last couple of years is this idea of this re- repetition that unfolds over time. So, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I've kind of created very tight vi- variables for myself and this sort of this like format of this very frontal, almost like totem-esque figure. And it's repeated again and again and again. And not in all my work, but in a lot of my work. And I was interested in this idea of this reveal of the repetition of seeing that again and again, and yet somehow it morphs. Um, and so it's like familiar and yet mutating simultaneously and, um, how that kind of opens up spaces to that are kind of connected to the way memory is formed and just also ideas of like identity and like maybe the shape shifting elements of mm-hmm. identity. Cause I don't see identity as being very fixed. I sort of see it as something that is chosen, you know? Mm. Um, and then sometimes, disregarded and chosen again um but i think that we live in a culture that makes us feel like the identity we've taken on is um very fixed right when i don't really think that that's true it's always changing right yeah and i think that we i mean i think we live especially like in the culture of um social media i think this idea of identity and projection of identity um I think people feel like they really have to define who they are and like promote it to the world and, you know, and polish it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many people who have like this persona or what people think they're like. And then if you know the people and you're like, well, Instagram feed is a little different than their life. You know what I mean? Right. 
which yeah. a lot of people think creates anxiety in other people because they're always feeling like, well, everyone else has got it so great. I mean, look at Instagram. Right, the highlight reel. Yeah, like no one's, that's probably, like I quit Facebook. That's probably the good thing about Facebook <laughs> is all people do is complain. complain. <laughs> like how terrible everything is. So, so maybe it's good that Facebook bought Instagram so they can merge some of that depressing like <laughs> into Instagram. But you know what I mean, though? I feel I do like know. everyone's just like, oh, my life is so great. Look at my food and look at my you know, food. Look at how many art shows I'm in or whatever that, that kind of that stuff yeah you know? I mean and I participate in that too so I get it but yeah but I think I it's know a- that picture of you with the Rolls Royce I was like man she's <laughs> really like keeping it. oh my gosh she's no really there is no picture <laughs> <laughs> never never um yeah but I just you know I think it's interesting I think that that this I like the idea that maybe identity isn't as fixed as we think it is yeah and that um that maybe it's a little more of a choice than we realize. Well, we have context, but do you think younger people who grow up with this stuff, it's a little less clear that there's a separation of, you know what I mean? I guess they probably know that. What do you mean? Like that they kind of like there's the persona people are portraying visually out there in different channels. Right. And then the real kind of like, you know, person. You mean like, do they recognize the artifice? Yeah, or recognize that there is a big difference. And even, if, I guess it's not, obviously they know that people are going to probably portray their life to be a little better than it is. Right. But maybe that it's creating unconscious standards that, you know, are difficult to navigate when you're younger. Right, like a sort of like, yeah, absolutely. You know, because like in high school for me, it was like, you know, there were the cliques and then the cool kid, you know, like the people had, there was still that same kind of persona Right. You know, like you think, oh, those people are the ones who are partying and doing all this fun stuff at night while we're just doing this, you know. And, but I I think now it's so removed and it's so instantaneous and it's so 24-7. And I wonder if that really affects people differently on their own identity and their expectations of identity and their expectations of how they're supposed to live their life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would imagine it affects I mean it obviously affects people differently but I think on the one hand what's beautiful about it is that you know if you're a kid growing up in a small town um maybe there's more examples of how you can be in the world than That's true. what you're seeing around you which I love about the internet see I think you are a diehard optimist and I really like that <laughs> <laughs> are you a glass half full person uh I, I am I, I, are you I'm a glass half full person um Maybe. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I do. I think that I can be critical, but I do think at the end of the day, I I am. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I'm an optimist. Well, yeah. A a glass half full person isn't a blind optimist. They realize half the glass is empty, but they're still looking at that it's full. You know what I mean? So there's a context like you understand that crap happens, you know, Right. but at the end of the day, you think, well, it's pretty good to be, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a fixer, you know what I mean? Like I think I'm someone who's always trying to mend and, um, figure out how to rectify what's fucked up. Boy, that's a good show title. The fixer. <laughs> you can use it. Uh, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. You came up with it. You can use it. Oh my gosh. Uh, I was home recently and my mom was making me go through like bags, of my old books and journals and sketchbooks and things. Mm-hmm. And I had created, a. um, a newspaper when I was 
like 12. Oh, really? You did your own news video? I made my, and it was called Ketchup. Um, like, like, like catching up or like it was tomato? Like both. It was Ketchup with Ketchup. Uh, and, oh, uh, that was what it was called? It was what it was called. And I created a like a therapy sec- section where you could wow. write in questions and I would answer them, but I wrote all the entries. <laughs> it was a dialogue with yourself. So I created these like personas and these voices and then I would like very earnestly respond to these like these problems, these imagining. That's really great <laughs> and inventive. Do you think Dear Abby was like that? Like those columns, a lot, not her, but a lot of the columns were just people would... They just made them up. Make it up. I mean, I who's fact-checking that stuff back then? Nobody. I don't know. That's I mean, this, really, this sounds like a Dear Abby expose. But <laughs> I've never read a Dear Abby in my life. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But that sounds so cool. That's really inventive and cool that you were doing that. I mean, it's it's also really goofy and weird. But, um, but That's no, but, being an artist, yeah. isn't it? Like, we spend all our time making these pictures. So. Yeah. Hey, show, look at my picture. You totally. Like yeah, totally. But I think to that point, like, I think my instinct to always want to kind of like do be the fixer and like yeah. try to like put the band-aids on it is definitely there there's an optimism in that I there think. is there is that, or positivity yeah you know. that's cool i don't know if that's very cool <laughs> i think it is it's, it's much nicer than the you know the down like kind of downtrodden depressed archetype of what artists used to be thought of as you know right like the real kind of struggling with the world missing an ear yeah, exactly. <laughs> Off on a distant island, being a bad person. Yeah, so, um, well, what do you have going on now? Like, what's, I mean, other than the spring break thing. Uh, yeah, I've got the spring break thing now. I am making new work. There's actually, so after describing my work in detail, there are some changes brewing. Okay. In studio. That door's open? Yeah, but I think it's, like, too soon to talk about that. Are you them. working, like, what's the scale that you're working at now? I mean, I saw the image of the painting in the show was. Oh, that was like small, but modest. they they gave us yeah they gave us like size requirements for the show. Like all the paintings were sixteen by twenty, but I actually prefer working large larger than that. Like yeah. I prefer the women to be larger than life, like literally. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the format generally is like thirty six by forty eight or like forty eight by sixty. Is it always on wood? It's it's yeah. I can get heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's as big as I'll go yeah. for that reason, like the wood panels. But I mean, I did, I've done, I'm, I actually have a mural coming up and I did a mural last year in LA and it was a 40 foot mural. Nice. Um, and that was really exciting because it was, I got to see the women like really large. I mean, they're like eight feet tall. Did you paint it? I did. Nice. Yeah. I had an assistant, but um, yeah. I did paint it. It's nice, right? Working outside. Yeah. You know, I was really anxious about it just because I, I had never... Uh, I'm such a private person and just oh, yeah. to be watched Witness painting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought that gave me a lot of anxiety, but I found it weirdly peaceful. Um, and you know, yeah, there were people who would kind of interrupt me sometimes, but I, it was nice. I, I liked the experience of sharing it with people who wouldn't maybe n- know my work otherwise. Yeah. Even the weird comments you can kind of deal with it, you know? Oh, and there were totally weird comments, yeah, yeah, but you get those yeah. people or- it's the people who love to talk to you when you're working outside yeah. are those ones. You know what I mean? But don't you think, I mean, they're definitely painters. You see it like when you go to like Central Park who, you know, like they're painting outside and I, you're, you're like, mm, I think you're yeah. wanting to talk about oh, painting course, more yeah. than you're actually wanting to paint. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's a certain breed of yeah. people who are working outside all the time where they really, you know, they enjoy the interaction. Exactly. Like, except for, I, except for the... Good <laughs> Or average, or whatever your opinion is. There, I've had, 
I had I was doing the rag and bone mural recently. Oh yeah, was that was great. Out. Thanks. And one person came up to me and was like, Oh, so so you're you're painting the new mural here? Do you you guys change these things? And I was like, Yeah, I'm I'm just doing a mural and he's like, Oh, you did the last one, right? And I was like, No, no, that's it's like a different artist each time. He's like, Oh, I really like the last one. <laughs> And at this point, I'm like 85% done, you know, yeah. like it was enough to go on there where it's, <laughs> yeah, I really liked that like that last one. I was like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you gotta. Thanks for the Yelp yeah, review. <laughs> well, you gotta change them sometimes. They can't all be home runs. <laughs> Jesus. But I love like the candor. It's just like, yeah, 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 the last one was really great. All right. Have a good day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that you never. No. Hear when you're working. No. You know what I mean? You only get like the. Basically, probably only the one night at the opening reception where you actually talk to people. Right, but I don't want to hear what people have to say in, in that regard at the opening. Do right. you? No, but it's yeah. just the same thing. Yeah. Usually, usually it's your people who are there to support you or are interested, sure. and they're like, "Oh, how's it going?" Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the same thing. But on the street, it's you know, anything. There's goes. no rules. Yeah, <laughs> there are no <laughs> rules. Be, you know, I've had people say things to me that have nothing to do with the artwork, and I'm just like, "Whoa." Like, <laughs> Something about you making a painting in public sphere. It's like you're an open ear for people. Yeah. I mean, it is a strange thing that we do in that respect, right? That it's, I mean, granted, you know, paintings get bought and put in personal spaces sometimes. Yeah. Um, or, you know, sometimes public spaces. But but when it's in a gallery space and, and it's ultimately being shared and like open for everyone. And it's, I feel like, you know, it's rare that you meet someone where you can evaluate their work like what they do as a profession um so quickly like yeah. have you ever met somebody and that you say you're an artist and then they like google you right in front of you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i've had that oh my gosh maybe a couple times. that's happened to me before and they're like looking at your artwork as they're and you're like please don't do that in front oh, of yeah. me <laughs> huh. oh you do this <laughs> no judgment nothing yeah. is said yeah it's like, uh, the silence is deafening yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I would imagine actors, it's probably uh, weird for actors too, because like everyone goes to see those movies and that's their creative output. And everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic. Yeah. And it's like athletes too, in a that's way. True. Like that's true. Like you're performing. I'm always amazed because I watch a lot of soccer. I love okay. soccer. It, when you see these in in England, the you know, the stands are so close to the pitch and when the, the ball goes out and they go to throw it in, it's just people like berating and screaming <laughs> and the, if I were like that player, I would so want to turn and be like, hey, come on out. Yeah. Give it a, come give it a shot. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're so opinionated. Oh. It's like the critic, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, the transference, right? Right. Yeah, everyone does it better in hindsight or from the, the armchair. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I guess that, ha- I mean, it happens in a weird way with art. You know, you kind of put them up, you talk to people for a couple hours and then they just do their own thing. Right. But yeah, it's a gallery, which is so different than public realm. Definitely, but I, I, you know, I've learned. I don't know how it feels for you, but I think when people look at my work in my studio, you know, that feels very, very vulnerable. And I, I actually don't let a lot of people in my studio. Um, but when it's for me, when it's hanging in uh, a gallery, like something happens, and I don't know what it is. Very, something very convenient happens where it's like I kind of shut off to it. Um, so it's almost like I've accepted what it is and I'm no longer feeling vulnerable next to it. I guess maybe it's like a detachment happens. Yeah. Um, so I think when it's like, I see my work and, you know, like hanging in, in an art fair or a show, I don't, 
it's almost like it's not mine anymore. Right. It's like when the kids leave the house. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not my kid. <laughs> As they trip and fall over the ball in the soccer field. Yeah, it's not my kid. <laughs> Shrugs. Yeah, unless when you're at home, that's really embarrassing. <laughs> I've never had, for some reason, I've never had that feeling of vulnerability. Oh, really? With art stuff. I don't know what it is. I'm missing that chromosome. Well, um... I just don't care. Like, I don't really care if people aren't into it. It's like, all right, I get it. I'm not into everything, do. Yeah. It doesn't, I, and I don't, maybe that means my art is like <laughs> vapid and unemotional no. or, or I'm not, I'm very connected to what I do. I love doing it and I'm really into what I'm doing, but I'm not really, I don't, if someone isn't into it, that's cool. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I know. I think, I think that's. I think it has less to do with that with me. I think it's more about like wanting, feeling protective of that space where things are made. Um, you know, oh, like the locale of like this yeah. is the lat. Like you're coming into a private space, right? Yeah, I've yeah. never had that either. Okay, I can yeah. work with people around and stuff, and I don't. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, it's not very convenient, but I but um, but I think to your point, I mean, I think it's good to feel that way. I mean, to be honest, like I I. I feel like there's so much artwork out there and there's so many different aesthetics and styles and tastes and temperatures. And I mean, my general rule of thumb with, with work is that like, you know, if I don't feel connected to it, I just sort of like focus on what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't feel the need to, um, hate on stuff. No. Yeah. I think that's for people who are like feeling bad about their own stature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Isn't it really? But like, I also I also kind of like that there's work that exists that I don't like. Right. It isn't my taste. Like I I like that there's that there's variety. Yeah. It would be boring if it was just so boring. Everything was good. You know, I was thinking about it. I think I can get to that place of um vulnerability. If I painted <laughs> naked and then had people over the studio, I would feel very vulnerable. Now you're just being weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying like that would be really vulnerable. <laughs> yes. So I think maybe I'm joking, but the idea is I think what happens is in my work, it's really about reflecting who people are in, by looking at the world. Right. So in a way, like in a Warholian way, right. there's less, I'm revealing less about me personally and it's more. You're revealing more about them. My thoughts on the world or no, yeah. it's just the world in general. So maybe that's what makes it less, you know, kind of like I feel less vulnerable in a sense. So I think what you're really saying is when people oh. come to your studio, they feel vulnerable. <laughs> is, that, is that right? I'm just kidding. No, they're probably bored. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I've always, I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh and I've always loved the Warhol and I've, I've, I love the idea of, you know, kind of like reflecting the world. Like he did it specifically with pop culture and entertainment and musicians and you know that stuff but um the idea of like saying a lot about who we are as a people by you know holding the mirror to the world or right. the people right and um in my favorite sort of genre of artwork which is uh japanese prints like ukiyo-e is about too. daily life you know it's right. about reflecting their environment in the world and what it says about them culturally and as a people and sort of the aesthetic of it and i think that's kind of what I'm interested in and maybe there is, you know, I, I think some, some people's work is more vulnerable. And so just like musicians, you mm-hmm. know, some people will, will write, 
you know, a song that's a little more academic or about pushing the medium of the song. And right. then some people are writing ballads that are about personal experiences. You're going to be a lot more vulnerable if you're talking, you know, if your work is derived really from deep personal experience. So right. Not saying that yours is, but it's a sliding scale. Right. And I think I'm just more on the robotic side of this. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily think my work is that personal. You know, I mean, I think right. there's elements of the personal in it, but I think I it's... I mean, I think if there's elements of the personal in my work, I actually like to take it into a more universal place. Yeah. You know, like but if it's, it's still in there. Yeah. The, well, in personal is always in all of our work. It is. Way. It is. Just sometimes it's a little more illustrative or like you could see it. You know what I mean? It's right. like, oh, that's, that's heavy. Like there's a narrative there. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Agnes Martin, to speak of, I mean, that's personal. I imagine that's a very personal you know, she was living and dying by that stuff. You yeah. Know? And, and that quiet and that beauty and peacefulness is, I would imagine, very personal, coming from a very personal place. Absolutely. I mean, I think, she, you know, she's a great example of how, well, I think in that way it's personal in terms of the energetics of it. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think she's an artist that um, is so much about the feeling space and like the, the way in which you enter into the work which I think can be really easily misconstrued. Um, but I think, I mean, you know, not to be totally cheesy, but like, you know, I, I've cried in front of an Agnes Martin painting. Like, I think there's a way where you can really be struck yeah. by the dedication and the sort of the sincerity that she brought to her work. Right. Whereas the garden variety art viewer will look at it and be like, man, or like, <laughs> it's you a know grid. what I mean? <laughs> it's a grid, Yeah. I get that way with Ankawada because that guy just did the date every day. You know, like he just painted like that commitment to that is really impressive. It is really impressive. I mean, and some people are just like, I don't get it. It's just the date. It's like, I mean, yeah, I guess. But the commitment to that, you know, is amazing. How are we on time? Oh, we're good. Sorry, my phone was... I just every When my phone rings these days, I'm like on kid watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, oh, is that to school? Um, but we're doing good. I mean, I could, I feel like I could talk to you for like five hours. Oh, you're so sweet. But he's not going to be happy if I don't pick yeah. him up at school. <laughs> we'll just bring the microphones with us. <laughs> right. The traveling in the car. Shh, be quiet, buddy. We're just finishing <laughs> up a podcast. Well, this is a great way to, to meet and to yeah. be able to have such a nice discussion. Absolutely. Are you on the West Coast ever? Um, you know, embarrassingly, I haven't been in so long, but we've been, I've been meaning to go out and I want to go out. Yeah. I have a lot of friends out there and, and yeah, I want to come to LA. I won't invite you to my studio. I need to go. Meet in a, a cafe. Oh, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do want to come out to LA. Yeah. It's great. And, and I really think there's a lot of exciting things happening in the art community there. I mean, yeah. I also think there's such a cross pollination happening, you know, um, that, I mean, LA artists are showing in New York and New York artists are showing in LA and, and not to make it like those are the two cities where people are making art. I mean, people are making art everywhere. Someone in Des Moines right now was just like, oh, come on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I haven't had a show there since 2003. Make it happen. (laughs) I've been, I've just been not paying attention to it in a bad way, but. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get out there soon. So yeah, and uh, you'll have to keep me posted on future future art happening. So when you have a show opening in September, you said yeah, September. Okay, at Miles McHenry. Great gallery here. So 
working towards that. Awesome. And then where can people find you and your work? So you do the social media. I definitely do the social media. I'm on Instagram as Karis R. So mm-hmm. C-A-R-I-S and then the letter R. And then uh, I have a website, which is just my name. So karisreid, R-E-I-D.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming over. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Sound of Vision and supporting the podcast. If you can, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. It really helps. And uh, if you can do that on other platforms like Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, that would be great. Um, You can find more pictures at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. And you can follow my work at Alfred Studio. Thanks so much.